by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, you might as well turn to Psalms 23 like normal, huh? But guess what? It's the last one. Unless we want to We'll go somewhere else. You know, there's a lot of Bible left after Psalms 23. <laughs> yeah. It's been a good series. You know, I was looking at my notes. When you put the series together, it seems like a short series to me compared to some of them. And I got to looking at my notes today, and it was like almost 50 pages worth of notes that I've had on this series just on Psalms 23. So a lot of good words going forth, I believe. Tonight's message is called, Surely Good Will Come Out of This. <laughs> hope so after 50 pages <laughs> surely good will come out of this psalms 23 the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he maketh me to lie down in green pastures and he leadeth me beside still waters he restoreth my soul he leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake and yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. And then we get to the last line and the text for tonight. Surely, say surely. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is that you? Isn't that good to know? Doesn't that right there just bring you enough comfort? That was worth the trip here tonight. We're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We come here to encourage one another with that. Uh, there was a time in the Bible after Jesus had ascended, and uh, Peter and John went to the temple to pray at 3 o'clock prayer hour, and they were on their way in, and they saw this guy laid up at the, the gate beautiful, and he was lame from, from birth, never had walked. His ankles had never had strength or, or legs. I don't know what his situation were, but he was lame. Couldn't do anything, so he would sit there and beg all day. Uh, well, when Peter and John walked up, they saw him and observed that, thought that maybe he had the faith to be healed. And they told him, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And Peter reached down and grabbed that guy up and pulled him up on his feet. And suddenly... Strength had come to his legs. He's standing on his own with balance and everything. He starts leaping around and praising God. The whole place went nuts. I mean, this was a busy place, you know, at the 3 o'clock prayer hour. And people were like, "Did you, that's the guy that's been laying there for 40 years. And he's up jumping and running around. And so all the people said, who did this? They're thinking, is that Jesus guy back again? I bet you is what they're thinking because it hadn't been long ago that he was the only one that they'd ever seen that do anything like that. So they, they uh, start gathering around Peter and John and wanting to make a big deal out of it. And in uh, Acts 3, in the verse 12, it says, Peter saw his opportunity. What does that mean? Well, for some of us who 
it may have, well, I see my opportunity to take credit for this. <laughs> you know, I see my opportunity to be a big man in Jerusalem now because I don't, you know, that happened because of me. <laughs> you know, no, that's not what Peter was thinking. Peter saw his opportunity and he addressed the crowd like this. He said, people of Israel, what is so surprising about this? Would we be floored if we saw a miracle here at the Passion Church? If an arm grew out or somebody got up out of a wheelchair, would we be just... Or should we be expecting that? We should be expecting it. Believe for it. Do you know when we go to uh, O'Brien Park on July the 9th, we're going to have uh, special healing services there? And we're going to believe God for some healing in those, those surrounding neighborhoods. If you don't expect for it, if you don't believe he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him like Tom just got through saying, then you'll never see it. You've got to believe on the front end, don't you? So believe for healing. Do you believe healing is for today? If it wasn't, why would he tell believers to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover? Okay. Well, that was off topic, but here we go. Peter saw his opportunity. He said, people of Israel, what's so surprising about this? And why stare at us, though we had made this man walk out of our own power and godliness? So he's saying, wait, don't put it on me. Don't act like I did this. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, who brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. So Peter, he had enough knowledge to know, don't take credit for it. Give all the glory to God. And that's a good example. And then he did something even beyond. He said, you know what? When you see a miracle, that's the dinner bell towards people receiving the gospel. So he began to witness to this crowd. He said, it's not me, it's Jesus. And uh, while we're here, let me tell you about Jesus. And so he began to give glory to God, began to tell them about Jesus. Well, the uh, Jewish leaders, the ones who had arrested Jesus, had him crucified and such, saw all this commotion going on. Of course, they don't like it. They were, they were just now getting over Jesus. They were like, we thought Jesus was gone. Now there's a new guy out there. You know, what's going on? Now this guy's preaching this Jesus that we crucified. And that got up out of the grave, and we don't know where he went. Well, anyway, in Acts 4.13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no training in the Scriptures, but yet he's standing up there just telling them like it is and it's from the Scriptures. And they also recognized that these men had been with Jesus. And that's a compliment. Boy, that's a compliment. You know, I can think of no greater compliment than to somebody see you and say, you know, I can just tell you've been with Jesus. Sometimes they look at us and say, I can see you've been with the devil. <laughs> but no, it's a lot better to have been with Jesus. Now, before we met Jesus, you know, that's a different story. We were like... Uh, human tornadoes you know we were we were spinning out of control and everywhere we went we were blowing things up and leaving a, a wake of ruin and destruction can you agree I mean I, I don't know about man I'm just talking to my, about myself because I you know I only thought about myself back then and I only I, I said whatever came to mind I seem to have no filter between my brain and my tongue and so 
Uh, yes, I created a lot of destruction back in, in the days before I knew Jesus. And, and if I were thinking about goodness and mercy, they were not two of the things following me. <laughs> it would be a whole lot of other stuff, like gloom and despair and agony. <laughs> dialectic, dialectic, you know. But surely, say surely, surely after I met Jesus, after you met Jesus, some things have changed, right? Surely some things have changed. Surely goodness and mercy now follow you. You get what I'm saying? Surely uh, you've changed since Jesus became your shepherd. He began to lead and guide you into all truth and show you things. And you got the Holy Spirit and all the gifts. And you got the Word of God, the basic instructions before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E, you know. You've got everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness. If nothing has changed since you asked Jesus into your heart, what in the world? Well, I mean, you mean you need to ask yourself. You need to check yourself. You need to uh, say, was there repentance in my heart when I asked Jesus in there? Because something is obviously not, you know, is the light turned on now? Is there a difference? Now, uh, surely we're recognized as someone who has been with Jesus, at least in our in our own homes or in our, in our jobs or something, you know, uh, we've begun to be a change agent for good instead of evil. I know, you know, I only thought about dark things before, but now I see things filtered through, you know, God's love and what would he do. And I, I find myself seeing other people and, and caring about the way they feel before I just open my mouth and blab, you know. Uh, I, I was thinking about you know, like a jet flying across the sky, you see them contrails coming off, you know, the, the steam or whatever it is that, that makes those long streaks in the sky, you know. Instead of being like a tornado that's leaving destruction, be like one of those contrails and it'd be like the Holy Ghost, it, you know, smoke and <laughs> leaving behind you. Or, or you're like a boat cutting through the water at Arca Butler or something, leaving a wake of Holy Ghost waves behind you, you know. Whatever's trailing behind you, let it be goodness and mercy instead of whatever it, it used to be. Uh, God, when he looks down, I, I think sometimes he's a little concerned that there's not a lot of difference in his, his people and the world. And, and he might ask a question like you might ask your son, like I was thinking, what are some questions that can, can relate to this? I was thinking... I might ask my son, uh, son, you are going to share some of that gallon of ice cream with your sister since I bought it for the whole family. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that make sense that he would share some of his ice cream? Or, or you may say to a man who's in, fleeing a burning building, you may say, uh, you, you are going to tell the children that the building's on fire on the way out instead of just fleeing fast as you can without you know, stopping, Right? That may be a good thing you could do. Uh, if you Say if you won the eternal life lottery, you, it may be not the best thing just to bury all your winnings in the dirt and never uh, enjoy the, the, the eternal life rewards and never share them with anybody else when you got more than you could possibly keep for yourself. So those are the questions that compare to like a believer who who says they're a believer but doesn't share their faith and there seems to be no goodness and mercy 
following along behind. It's like, uh, surely you're not going to hide your light under a bushel. No. And it's like when Angie asked me tonight, she says, surely you're not going to wear that pink shirt. And, and I said, it's just faded red. And don't call me Shirley. <laughs> it's, it's faded red. Well, I saw it. Anyway, if you look at that verse in the New Living Translation, Psalms 23, 6, it gives a different perspective on it, and you be the judge. It says, Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. So that's kind of a different take than I was seeing it in the King James. I'm, th I'm thinking the good things and the mercy that God has given me, then it, I'm giving to others, and so I'm leaving it along behind as I go. But this says that goodness and mercy are trailing me and that God is behind me trying to get me more. And I thought, yeah, I like that one too. I like God's coming up behind me with more goodness and mercy, and I like that the things that he has done in my heart are also leaving an impact behind me as well. So I can see it both ways. Do you see it both ways? So goodness and mercy. What is goodness and mercy? Well, it's really hard to have goodness these days without having some mercy. Because if you're waiting on someone who deserves goodness, <laughs> you might have a long wait. So to be good, you have to pretty much have mercy. You know that you didn't deserve what God gave you. Uh, Jesus was, of course, he's always our perfect example of everything. He was like a positive tornado. You know, if you noticed everything that Jesus said and did is almost opposite of the world's way. And many times it's just polar opposite. And it's hard to believe because we grew up thinking all these things in the world, and then when we came to Christ, it's like, he says it different, you know. And it's, it's hard for us to grasp. But he's like a positive tornado where a regular tornado comes through and spins up and just causes destruction and everywhere it, it, it happens to. You ever seen those aerial photographs when a tornado's been through a city or something and just destroys everything? Jesus came about doing good and, and making all things new. And everywhere he went, it was just, it, was, it would light up. Everyone recognized that it was something special about Jesus. And I believe that's the way God would have us to be. We deserved annihilation, and he gave us eternal life. See, we think people get what they deserve, but that's not the way God sees it. In Isaiah 63, 7, this scripture is just in here because it's just too good not to say. Really has, doesn't pertain to what I'm saying right now. I will tell of the Lord's unfailing love. I will praise the Lord for all that he has done. I will rejoice in his great goodness to Israel, or you could say to the church, which he has granted according to his mercy and love. I just had to say that because it said, I will tell. And see, that's what we need to do. We need to tell. I will tell of his unfailing love. I will praise him. It's my heart's desire to praise him. I want to tell. I rejoice all the time that he's so good. He taught us parables along those lines. Do you remember the parable about the rich man and Lazarus? Lazarus was the beggar who stayed outside the rich man's gate, and the rich man wouldn't let him in, you know. 
had little regard for him, maybe threw out his garbage and Lazarus would eat out of the garbage and the dogs would come and lick his sores and stuff. I don't know why they had to throw that detail in there, but just to show how bad it was for Lazarus. But what happened when they both died? The rich man who had no regard for anybody else, he went down. <laughs> and Lazarus was comforted. He tells us the story about the Good Samaritan. Um, man's beaten and robbed and left for dead, thrown in a ditch. And, uh, you know, all the, the, uh, the clergy, so to speak, the teachers and the preachers and stuff walk by and, oh, he's gross. You know, walk by on the other side. Had no regard for the man. But it was a despised Samaritan because the Jews and the Samaritans had no dealings with one another. They were just like a race war going on between the two and they couldn't stand one another wouldn't be caught dead with one another but this Samaritan saw him and had compassion and Jesus is saying I mean come on guys if this Samaritan could be a good neighbor can't we be a good? I mean if he can do it anybody can do it and he, he took the man and he dressed his wounds and he put him on his donkey took him and, and uh, got him to a hotel and, and paid for him to stay there and get his rest and, and come back he also, Jesus told us the parable about the prodigal son. You know, this kid went out and spent all his dad's money, you know, his inheritance, spent it all up, riotous living, doing the wrong, exact wrong thing. You know, the dad, from the way that you see the dad in the story, you, you would imagine the dad taught him better than that, you know. And, but the kid just did the exact opposite of what he knew to do. And can anybody say, well, I did too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so we see these stories, but we fail to see ourselves in these stories sometimes. And, that, and maybe that's what Jesus is trying to get us to see. Because when the prodigal son came back, he was like, I'm not worthy. You know, <laughs> dad's... He's not going to want me as his son anymore, but maybe he'll at least feed me, put, put me to work, you know. And that's the way many of us came to God. We were like, surely he's not going to have nothing to do with me now. He knows everything I've done, you know. But there he is waiting for you to come home. And he and immediately takes this robe and puts it around his shoulders, which, you know, signifies the robe of his righteousness. And he puts a signet ring on his finger, which signifies the the family emblem, you know, the authority of the family. Puts new shoes on his feet, which is saying, boy, you need to be up and moving. You know, you need to be telling this. And he killed the fatted calf, and they just had a party. You know, and we talked about that, I think, Sunday. And the, and the other brother, he was mad about the whole thing, you know. He, and that pictures some of the Christians that we have today that don't want to see other people born again. You know, it's like... Uh, Jonah, when he went and God told him to preach in Nineveh, he didn't even want to do it. He didn't want to see them heathens get saved. <laughs> you know, and we have churches like that today that don't bring them in here, you know. This is a respectable church. And so, <laughs> oh my goodness. So, you know, don't bring no sick people to this hospital. We're not, what kind of operation do you think we're running here? <laughs> so... 
you got the prodigal son, and, and it's a picture of what God did for us and how we should treat one another. You know, don't hold it over their head and make them beg for, you know, for forgiveness and all this. He was waiting on him. He couldn't wait to forgive. Couldn't wait to, to love him. And then you got the uh, parable of the two debtors. I think I maybe talked about this a couple of weeks ago, too. Well, and I, so I won't go into it, but the one guy owed the king millions of dollars he couldn't pay. And the king had mercy on him and forgave his debt. But he, then he went to a guy he, uh, that owed him $40 and had him thrown into debtor's jail. And that's how ridiculous we are when we hold back forgiveness for those who have hurt us compared to what we have done to our Holy Father. And so Jesus is telling us in these parables how we ought to, to view goodness and mercy. What is goodness and mercy? Well, goodness and mercy is what God's people do. This is what we should be specializing in. Uh, a few stories I thought about was uh, good, godly people do this. They, they show goodness and mercy. And David, being a man after God's own heart, do you remember the story? Uh, his, his wife and children and all his men's wife and children and all their stuff got stolen while they were off to battle. And when they got back, the men wanted to stone David because they had lost everything. And God, he encouraged himself in the Lord, and God said, go get your stuff back. So they took off. And, and but, but see, they had already been in battle for several days, and his men were already wore out. And they were ch trying to overtake these people who had stole their stuff. And they get to this river, and they stop. And, and 200 of the men just said, we, can, we can't go no more. We're exhausted. <laughs> and they kind of wimped out. Well, David said, all right, you guys just stay here with the stuff, and we'll go on ahead, those of us who are able. And they went on ahead, and God gave them a great victory, and they, they got their wife and children unharmed back. You know, God did exactly what he said he was going to do, gave them a great victory. Everything that, they, that was stolen, they got back and more, got all the, their stuff too, and, and came back to where those 200 guys were getting a rest, you know. And it says in 1 Samuel 30, 23, uh, the, the soldiers that went, they... <laughs> They didn't like the idea of sharing the plunder with those 200 that didn't go. They were like, they're not getting nothing. We might give them their ugly wives back, but that's about it. You know, we're not giving them no stuff. <laughs> but David said, no, brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. Do you know that whatever the Lord has given you, he's given you enough to give out. And if, and if you'll give it out, He'll give you more to give out. If you run out of that, he'll give you more. Won't he? So you can't outgive God. That's part of the trust that Brother Tom was talking about. Trust the Lord. Because whatever you give, he's going to give it back unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I mean, he'll make sure you get more. If you become a giver, he'll, make, he'll give you the seed to sow. He gives seed to the sower. Anyway, David said, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He has kept us safe and helped us defeat this band of raiders that attacked us. Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike. And that should be the Christian mentality, by the way. Those who go to battle and those who guard the equipment. Now, look at the heart of David. He could have phrased that completely different. He could have said, uh, we'll give them their share, but they're not getting none of the extra. Or, or, or we'll give them their share. No, we're just going to give it to them this time. But next time, they better get their you know, tail in gear and go with us. You guys are going to have to get in shape. We're not putting up with this. You know, 
No, he even gives them, he even covers their shame and says, he called them the people that stayed with the equipment. Like they really needed some people, you know, like they needed somebody to guard the equipment. But he gave them an out. See, that's somebody that's looking from somebody else's point of view and trying to give them the benefit of the doubt as much as possible. Seeing the best in other people. And that's a Christian trait. That's what Jesus does for us. It's really tender if you think about it. There was another guy named Shimea. And uh, Shimea was of the family of uh, King Saul, who was king before David. And I guess he didn't like it when David became king after Saul died. And he, he harbored resentment, I guess, bitterness for the years and years that King David was king. And eventually when King David's son Absalom grew up, he tried to overthrow his dad's kingdom and came in with a big army and David had to flee from Jerusalem for a period of time to get away from this, this army that was coming after him. And uh, when he was on the way out of Jerusalem, this Shimea, he's up on the hillside throwing rocks at David thinking, aha, you're not king no more. This is what you deserve, and calling him all kind of names and cursing him out. And some of the men were with David. They were like, do you want us to go cut this guy's head off? And what did David say? He could have said, yeah, get rid of him. Who is this, you know? He was the king. You know, have you seen other kings in the Bible? <laughs> but David said, no, just let him go. I can see his point of view. I can see where he's mad because I was king, you know, and that's tremendous. That's, I think that is why David was a man after God's own heart because he loved people. He, he saw people. And I often, I often have to talk to myself, you know. I want to see people. I, it doesn't come natural to me, you know. It's more natural to me to be up here talking. But I want to be the kind of pastor that sees people and I want to be there for you. And I want us to have the kind of church where we're there for one another. And we believe in one another. And we care about each other's feelings and our situations. And we get to know one another. And I'm happy that we're, we're heading in that right direction. Then there was Mephibosheth. Say that three times. Oh, hey, old Mephibosheth, by the way, he lived in Lodibar. <laughs> if you've heard that story, he did. Mephibosheth lived in Lodibar. And he was uh, the son of Jonathan, Saul's, King Saul's son. So he was of the old dynasty. Well, when King David became king, he looked around. He says, who in Saul's family can I, do a, can I bless my, for my friend Jonathan's sake? And they said, well, there's that crippled boy, Mephibosheth, over in Lodibar. He said, well, bring him in. So he brings this crippled guy in that probably harbored ill feelings towards David now that he was king too. probably Because see, in those days, whether you were nice to him or not, usually the new king came in and wiped out the families and the friends and everybody from the previous king. They just didn't want to leave anything. And that was just, it was just wicked like that back in them days. But David wasn't like that. He found somebody that he could bless. And he brought him in and he gave, his, he gave this crippled guy all of Jonathan's property, which was a significant amount because he was the son of the king. And, gave, and let him sit, sit and eat at the king's table every meal and treated him like his own son, all before Jonathan's sake. Well, at the same time when David is running from Absalom, his son, and leaving and Shimei is throwing the rocks at him, he looks around and says, where's Mephibosheth? He didn't come with us. 
Now, he's done showed him this kindness. But now that David's being run out, Mephibosheth decides he's going to stay back and uh, keep eating at the king's table. He's not showing any loyalty to David. At least that's the way it appears. Well, at the end of the story, David's uh, troops come back and win the battle and uh, knock back Absalom, and he, get, he takes his kingship. And when he gets back, he, Mephibosheth's still there at the palace. He said, Mephibosheth, where were you at when we left? I thought you were with us. Mephibosheth comes up with this story, you know, about, uh, oh, I couldn't get there. My, my man who, you know, helps me get around uh, left, and he didn't help me. So they were two people blaming each other. And, you know, most kings, they'd have said, well, that's not good enough. Off with his head or something, you know. But David forgave him, let him still sit at the king's table. Gave him the benefit of the doubt. Do you give people the benefit of the doubt? Or do you just think, well, I know people. I know how they are, you know. I know, I know well, you're probably thinking about yourself. You know how you are, and you're thinking they're like that. Well, God would say think the best about everybody. Believe the best. Love does that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Believe the best about everybody. And if they prove you wrong, forgive them and believe the best about it again. again. Now, you ain't got to keep yourself in harm's way or anything. I'm not saying that. Use wisdom and everything. But as far as your heart is concerned, just keep believing the best. You have somebody that's on drugs, and you've helped them, and you got them a place, you got them, and they got off drugs for a while, and things was going good, and then the next thing you know, they're back at the crack house, you know. And we've seen that over and over and over. Let's just be honest. It's hard to get off crack. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about maybe you never had to deal with that, but you might be in that position. You could have been that person. I'm just saying we need to be more merciful. I know I do. <coughs> uh, one other example I had was how Joseph treated his brothers, you know, the ones that sold him into slavery that we talked about. And boy, he sure could have got them killed. He's second in charge of Egypt, you know. He could have he tortured them and made them say uncle all he wanted to, you know, but he didn't. He was only concerned about how to save their lives, not to take their lives, not to take revenge. The Bible says, uh, vengeance belongeth to me. I will repay, saith the Lord. And when you, when you turn it over to God, it's like heaping coals on their head, you know. Uh, I don't know what that means, but it sounds good. All right. <coughs> No, I mean, I, I believe what it means is it, it causes them conviction if you just let the Lord take care of it. And it gives the, the Lord room to work. It gives the Lord the ability to get in there and take care of the situation. And anybody that knows about the Lord, I'd rather him take care of it than me. So, goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. That sounds like goodness and mercy are expected to be part of our daily routine. All the days. He didn't say all the years or all the generations of. He says all the days. Every day, goodness and mercy shall follow me. So that it needs to be part of the, our daily equation. Do you wake up in the morning and think along these lines? Do you think to yourself, who can I bless today for Jonathan's sake? Or who can I bless today just because I want to bless somebody? That, who can I bless today because I've won the eternal life lottery and i got to share some of these winnings? Who can I bless today? Who can I save today? Who can I uh, 
listen to today, comfort, who, who can I bless, show goodness and mercy to? Uh, Hebrews 10.24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Think of ways. So we're supposed to be, in, that's what I'm doing here tonight. I'm encouraging you, motivating you to do acts of love and good works. And then it goes on right after that. It says, and let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, talking about church. Don't stop coming to church because that's where God gives you people that will help motivate you to do right. It's, that's one of the important parts of church, to keep ourselves motivated because how many knows you will become unmotivated when you unplug from the source? How long will your phone go if, if you don't plug it in and reduce it, you know? This is the juice station, the passion juice station. Say that three times. So, I got a question. Who is it you'd least like to show goodness to? You got somebody in mind? Who is it you'd least like to show any goodness to? Well, there's a good starting place for you. There's a good place for you to start. Whoever you had in mind, think of something you can do for that person. If you can do that, then you can get over any hump. That'll be a good, good first step to take. Think of somebody you really don't want to bless and go bless them. Man, the devil won't know what to do with that. <laughs> he will be, what? And God will be like, what? <laughs> Everybody will. But that'll really be letting your light shine. Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? But it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. There it is again. Do good things, but give the praise to your heavenly Father. Because see, when he's lifted up, all people will be drawn. So everything you do, do as, as if unto God and do it to give him the praise and the glory and the honor and uh, let your light shine for him. Because in the end, you'll find out that your light comes from him. We're just the moon. He's the sun. You know, we're just reflecting his glory anyway. Any good that we have, what good thing do we have that we didn't get from him? He's the heavenly father, giver of all good gifts. So all the days of my life, and then it says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord. Where is the house of the Lord? Well, some people may say in heaven. Some people may say, well, we're sitting in the house of the Lord right now. Those are right. But uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, what? 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 My head. What? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? You are the house of the Lord. And Psalms 91 said, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Here's the secret place. It's you getting down in your heart and meditating on the Lord and, and fellowshipping with the Lord. See, He's near you. He's with you. He's in you. Jesus said that they may be one as me and you are one, Father. 
He's in there. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. You are the temple of the living God. And so you don't have to go anywhere to worship. You carry the worship with you. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord and singing psalms and hymns and and just keeping that line of communication open, praying without ceasing, giving thanks always, doing the things, you know, let the meditation of your heart be on the Lord at all times. Uh, let's turn to Exodus 33. I don't know why we're going here. It's, it seems, uh, I know why, but it's kind of weird to go back to the Old Testament to, to find this out, but I just saw a, a picture and I wanted to show you. Maybe, maybe you'll see it too. Thinking about, let's look at a picture of our journey through this valley of the shadow of death we call earth. I, I see some correlation between this Old Testament scripture and what it's like for us until we get to heaven. It says, One day Moses said to the Lord, in verse 12, You have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land. But you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name and I look favorably upon you. If it's true that you look favorably upon me, let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully and, content, and continue to enjoy your favors. So we get a picture of there, God is wanting him to bring people to the promised land. And guess what? That's your calling. Go into all the world and make disciples. We're supposed to lead people to the promised land. And he's saying, well, you've told me that you look favorably upon me. He says, okay, well, let me know your ways so that I understand you more fully and can continue to enjoy your favor. So, if you look more fully, you know the promises better, then you can enjoy more of his favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. This is what the Lord said. I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest, and everything will be fine for you. Maybe somebody here needed to hear that tonight. This is the Lord's heart. I will personally go with you. You see, he didn't want to live in the little Ark of the Covenant, a little square box, and be with the people, shielded behind all these curtains. The first thing he did when Jesus said it is finished, he ripped that curtain apart. Because God was no longer in a box. He was in your heart. That's what it is finished meant, now you have become the dwelling place of God. And he can go personally go with us, in us. Moses, I will give you rest and everything will be fine for you. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. That's why we don't, we're not technical about, can't do any work on Saturdays anymore like the Jews used to be on the Sabbath day or whatever. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. And that's really my heart. I don't want to go anywhere God's not. And I don't, I don't want to do anything that God's not involved in. I, I would rather, well, I don't want to get into all that, but I don't want to go any place where God's not. And if he's not going with me, then I, just, I tell him, God, let's not go. You know, why expend the energy if you're not going to be there? 
How will anyone know that you look favorably upon me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? And that's, that's the telltale test of the Passion Church. Do you feel the presence of God here? Are we humbling ourselves to his will? Do you, if we're not, then his presence won't be here. I don't believe. I mean, he may, he may be here, he'll be here in us, but I mean, I want, to, the, I want to know that he is with us. How will anyone know that you look favorably upon me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the people of the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked. For I look favorably on you, and I know, by, I know you by name. Moses responded, and he takes it to a different level. Then show me your glorious presence. I think Moses was kind of putting his foot in the water. Well, are you going with us? You going with, okay. You, going, you, you remember my name? How, how are we going to go? If you, you know, people won't think that you're, he's getting about waist deep. We're going to show me your presence. He, he's just, you know. He wants more and more, and that's the way we're getting. Show me your glorious presence. And then the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. Wow. For I will show mercy <coughs> to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. He says, but you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. You know, God in his perfect holiness we wouldn't stand a chance seeing him face to face in these earthly sin sinful bodies that we live in, this, this mass of clay. <laughs> He's saying, you can't see me now. And, and the Bible says that, you know, we see through a glass darkly now, but then we'll see face to face when we get to heaven. <clears throat> and the Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. And as my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. So he does something very wonderful. He says, you can't see me now because you're still in this earthly body and everything. We can't be together like we want to be. But I'm going to hide you in this rock. And who's the rock? Jesus is the rock on which we stand. He is the cleft which hides us. And God covers us with his hand. And we're hidden there, but God is holding us until the day that we shall see him face to face forever. Say forever. So what do we do when this old ticker stops ticking? So, so that's a picture of kind of like where we are now. God wants to reveal himself to us, but we can only see his, his hinder parts right now. We can't look at his face. It's just too much glory for us to handle. But we see him in the face of Jesus Christ, who became a man fully human so that we could look upon him, so that we could touch him and feel him and know him. And Jesus said, have I been so long with you, Philip, that you didn't recognize that I am? I am. When you see me, you see the Father. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 4.14. Turn there real quick. We're about to close. It's a good thing, isn't it? Second Corinthians 4, verse 14. What happens when we pass over? We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, 
will raise us up with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. See, that's what this whole thing is. This is why you're still here, so that his grace may reach more and more people, and so that God may get more and more glory, and more people see that glory, and more come. It's it's a snowball effect. God is trying to wrap this thing up. He's not willing that any should perish. He's not willing. He's... You say, well, where is this coming? You know, we've been waiting. My grandmama's been talking about the rapture, you know. Yeah, it says many will scoff at that, you know. But he, God is long-suffering and patient, not willing that any should perish. That's why he's waiting. That's why all this craziness is going on, and God's not coming back yet. Although, I may not finish this sentence before he does, so we don't know. Verse 16, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. My body is 50 years old now. It's not the same body I had when I'm 30. It's decaying. Just like the earth itself groans, waiting until the Son of God be revealed, you know, for God to reveal himself. Everything in this earth is in a state of decay. Is that a word? Decale, we'll go with it. State of decale. See, I make a word up every service. This is for free, too. I'm not even charging y'all for this. For our, pre- uh, okay, where was we at? Our bodies are dying. We all agree with that. But our spirits are being renewed day by day. So we can grow stronger and stronger in the spirit, even though our outward man perishes, our inner man is being renewed. So yes, we are dying, and it is appointed to man wants to die, and we can pray all we want, but it, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. God's already said it will die, so we will one day die. We don't have to die early, but we will one day die. And this old man, this 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 body that we live in is decaying, but our inner man can get stronger and stronger and stronger, and be renewed every day, not just sometimes. Our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and they won't last long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Man, that just gives your your life meaning, that one sentence. All the stuff you're going through, all the pain, the suffering, all the heartache, all the disappointment, everything that you're facing... They're small and won't last that long in the, in the light of eternity. But they're producing for you a, a, a glory in heaven. If you endure them with patience, if you endure them with the, with the right heart, and you fight on the good fight of faith, you do what you're called to do. You know, you, I was talking to somebody today somewhere, and, and I was just telling them, did you do what you knew to do? And that's all we can ever do. You know, you can do your best at something, and you can be given everything that you have. And, you're, man, you've got it on the verge of success. And three other people who ain't done a lick of nothing come in there and ruin it for, for you and everybody, and, and the whole thing collapses. Now, if, you, if you're not thinking about it right, you could walk away and say, I shouldn't have gotten involved with that. I shouldn't even wasted my time. I shouldn't have done If God had you do that, and you did it as if unto the Lord, and you did your best, 
then rejoice. It doesn't matter what else happened. All you can do is what you can do. And if God asks you to do it, it might be just to develop your character in an area. God does that. He cares enough to put us in situations just for our, to, to develop our character. So they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. The things that you're doing, you think, well, I, you know, nobody cares that I show up early for church and give kids candy or that I come and say something to somebody. You know, I'm try- I came to pray with somebody today. Those little things, I, it doesn't seem like much. I know nobody recognizes it. No, God recognizes it, and they will, they will last forever. This, these, these few years that we live down here, this whole 6,000 years of human history deal, it's just a moment in time in the scope of eternity, but it, it weighs so heavily on eternity. If we really understood it, man, we wouldn't, we, we'd be afraid to go to sleep four hours a night because we'd have to be telling somebody about Jesus. <laughs> I mean, we would really take eternity so much more seriously. Verse 18, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on those things which cannot be seen. Faith. The things to come are in the spirit realm, and we're in the natural realm. We can't see it all, but it's just as real. For the things we see now will soon be gone. One day this earth is going to burn up with a fervent heat. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. And then it goes on into chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and we leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, and a, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. So we're going to have a vastly much better body, thank goodness. This corruptible flesh will take on incorruptibility. This mortal will take on immortality. We'll have uh, a body like Jesus had when he, when he was resurrected from the dead. It could walk through walls and, and that kind of thing. It, it'll be awesome. And there'll be no more death and dying and sickness and disease. It won't, won't, won't affect that body. For us to live is Christ and to die is gain. If we get a, get a hold of some of these bigger principles that I teach often, uh, it just makes life so much sweeter. Just go on and realize to live is Christ and to die is gain. Don't be afraid of death all your life. The Bible says we're all the time subject to the fear of death. You know, a bo- it's a bondage. We're, we can't be who we're called to be because we're afraid to die. You know, we don't know what's coming. Well, we see what's coming. We're going to be in the house of the Lord forever. And surely our paths when we get there, we'll have been strong with goodness and mercy because we have the Lord here as our shepherd and he meets our needs and leads us by still water. He restores our soul and, and teaches us to walk in the right way. He puts his name on us. <laughs> he takes away our fears. He protects us with, a, with his rod and his staff and he makes a, a show of his kindness to us. Make sure our enemies get to see it, you know. He anoints us with power, and he gives us a heart of gladness till our cups just run over, and we have to tell somebody. We have to spill out on people. And then we, we look back and we say, all those things I didn't think were much, but they're gathering steam. And 
goodness and mercy has overtaken me. <laughs> you know, it's like, you ever been on a diet for any extended period of time? And it seems like at first, you, maybe you lose a, five pounds at first, you know, the first weekend. And you're like, this diet and stuff is easy. <laughs> but then it's like, you don't lose another pound for like three weeks. And then it's like one pound. It's like, man, this is getting old. And you, you want to give up and quit, and you probably do. But if you'll just keep going, same way with lifting weights or whatever, you see no improvement, you know. And you just, but if you keep going, if you make it a lifestyle, you know, if you keep going in the right direction, one day you're going to say, wow. And that's what we ought to do as Christians. Put one step in, in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, one step at a time. And uh, don't be discouraged. Just keep doing it. And uh, don't matter if anybody's paying attention, God's paying attention. He's just looking for faithfulness. And that's all he's ever needed was faithfulness. And we'll look back and say, surely goodness and mercy has followed us all the days of our life. Now I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That concludes this Psalm 23 series. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.